2: GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at gm.com. GM, everybody in.
0: What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell World on Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.com.
3: I woke up feeling wealthy today My bank account might not agree But hey, that shit on the way Me and my niggas layin' brick On top of brick till we straight. If you the type that play the victim You can't come in my space You know this game ain't for the weak It's hard to carry this weight I keep my balance Through the ups and downs I'm never gonna break You feel the purpose in my spirit When you look in my face Cause it ain't a second I can waste some food on place Fumble the bag I still ain't got that disappointment to shake So now I'm trying to double up On every dollar I make Money don't buy you happiness It show don't take it away I'm smelling hard as hell every time I step in the we can't be making reckless moves, cause there's so much at stake When you got some shit to lose, your decisions gon' change Cause every action got a consequence, consider your ways Hardest thing to do in life is elevate for your pain I can't relate to feeling like your life is stuck in the phase. Giving effort, but results just keep remaining the same Ask the patience with yourself, shit ain't as bad as you claim I seen the homeless nigga smile, while he standing in rain It's all about perspective Chillin' catchin' blessings, and cryptocurrency been bustin', and I'm well invested. She know that if she rock with me, then she gonna stay protected. Cause even when this shit get hectic, I ain't never stressin' i woke up feeling wealthy today my bank account might not agree but hey that shit on the way me and my niggas laying brick on top of brick till we straight. if you the type that play the victim you can't come in my space you know this game ain't for the weak it's hard to carry this weight i keep my balance through the ups and downs i'm never gonna break you feel the purpose in my spirit when you look in my face cause it ain't the second i can waste i'm putting food on place Meal.
0: Welcome everybody to another episode of the Black Wolf Renaissance Podcast. Your boy David Bella, one fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance. Check it out, my brother, my co-host for the episode. Jalen, how you feeling?
2: What up, what up, what up? It's your boy Jalen, man. Another quarter of the Black Wealth Renaissance podcast. And I am feeling great today. I cannot complain. It's kinda hot in Texas, but look. It Benny. It's all good, man. I'm I'll take that over the snow, the rain, and all of that other stuff. So man.
0: It's what summertime, man. That's all I got to say. It's summer, and I'm feeling good.
1: What part of Texas are you in? We're in Dallas. You're
2: We're Dallas. in the area. Cool. cool. Yes,
0: sir. Yes, sir. Yo, yo, yo. And y'all.
2: We got another great episode.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, once again, as always, you already know VWR. We always have the heat, and I'm very excited about this episode mm. that we have today. We've talked to some people in the past who've been in franchising, but this brother story in franchising is very unique and uh, we're more than really yeah,
2: yeah. just franchising the the food the business, industry. The, yeah, we need
0: to the industry in general is just unique. And we're very excited to have him on Um, this episode. We have Mr. Greg Cole He is the owner of the number one Nancy's Pizza franchise <laughs> out here in Atlanta. Mr. Greg, how you doing?
1: doing good. Man. Doing good.
2: Thank you again for coming and just kicking in with us today to definitely share your knowledge and your expertise and I know David kind of gave you a brief introduction, but before we even get into everything else, can you just give us a brief background of who you are, and how you were able to become the number one store owner operator?
1: Well, my background actually, um, it came out of a retail first before I got into food and beverage, and that was from my hometown. I was born in Pensacola, Florida, originally, and I was the uh, first African-American person to manage a supermarket a chain uh, locally in Pensacola. Oh, wow. um, and that was actually my kickstart to me taking over and making sure that I understand the, everything about whatever industry I want to go into.
2: Mm. So what brought you to want to understand and were you just naturally a curious child, curious person? What was your background in like education and everything?
1: Well, I, honestly, I don't have a whole lot of background education. I'll be honest with you. I uh, left high school. I uh, went off to college and I spent about three months in college. And walked away from it. I walked mm-hmm. away from it because I was the first African American manager for a supermarket in Pensacola. And I just took over from there. And because of the demand that was required from me to be able to be in a position to manage an operation that large, it was a large operation. And I just walked away from college. And ever since then, I've been going up.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So you walked away from college to pursue a career because you already had a career. Um, I know now with our generation, like we're very, you know, the now generation, but it seems to me like you had to climb up the ladder whenever you were in that organization, right? You took on the managing position and like, where did you go after that?
1: Well, it's managing in Pensacola, the supermarket. And what happened was I was in a position as a bagger when I first started in the supermarket. And then what happened was position came open as a supervisor and I applied and I received that position. And then probably six months later, the general manager of that location was terminated. And mm. we was at a position that we need to have a general manager. And they put me in that position. And when I say put me in that position, I didn't get to pay for that position at all. The owner never gave me the funding as far as a raise or anything else. He just said, I need you to help me manage this operation. And that was one of 12 stores in Florida. I took it on because I wanted a challenge. I wanted a challenge. And that was the start of me doing the things that I do now.
2: Mm. So I see a lot of underlining things here because you went from a bagger to the supervisor to a general manager, but you can't just go through these levels without having a certain skill set, without being able to do certain things. Like you don't just go from a bagger to this top person. So, like, what was it about your job that you did? You had to have some type of efficiency. attack, with yeah. A some type day. of efficiency towards you. Like, what was the thing about you that made you the perfect fit for that type of role?
1: I think what made me perfect fit was I was eager and I was hungry, where I was raised different than again today. I came out of the projects. So the project child. But my hit set and my mindset was to be successful. And in order to do that, I had to keep my head on. I had to do the right thing. I had to manage people, understand people. And when I say people, I'm talking about my internal and external people, my customers and my employees understand that and then give them the right tools that were necessary to make whatever position they were in to be successful in their position.
0: Mm, That's big. So whenever you moved up from bagger to manager, how was that transition for you? Being, like, you, had you already take, started like showing some of those leadership qualities even whenever you were in a position where you technically weren't a leader on the team?
1: They say I showed that leadership quality, but evidently they must have saw it uh, mm-hmm. because again, with me going into that position and moving from the uh, like I said, a bagger to a supervisor to a general manager, um, they saw something, and because they saw something, I was going to make sure that. I'm going to give them everything, everything that I assume that they saw. That's heavy. And again, like I stated, when I was offered the position, I took the position with no raise at all, believe it or not. And they didn't offer me a raise. They just said, we just need you to do this for us.
2: How long did you stay in that position like that?
1: I stayed in that position probably for about six months. About six months. I did.
2: That's yeah. not bad. So after that, what, what was the next step?
1: Well, next step was an increase, and then I had to go from different location to mm-hmm. assist other location, uh, other managers, and I did that.
2: So more like on a regional type side, or like you went from managing one store to multiple stores, kind of like a territory type thing.
1: Well, talk about it today, yes, that's what it would be. But okay. then it wasn't. <laughs> it was <laughs> not. I can say they was using me. <laughs> but you know what? That's what got me where I'm at right now, and that's why I deal with multiple restaurants right now. Mm.
2: And- even what you're saying, you know, like they use you, but at the same time, you developed a lot of skills that, like you said, you're able to use now. So even though you might've put in that sweat equity, you still got the intellectual equity. Can't now take that you got all of these you. skills and now you didn't compound it on that.
1: And then that's so true. That is so true. That's so true. And I believe in that. That's the reason why I took on the responsibility of that position. And as far as the funding goes or the pay goes, I didn't care about that. I didn't care about that. Mm. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At
3: participating McDonald's.
1: So whenever
0: you did get the increase in pay, the bump in pay, how long did you decide to stay in that position once you did that?
1: Once I got the increase, I probably stayed in there for probably another year and decided to walk away. And Mm -hmm. that's when I decided, when I walked away, I came to Atlanta and I started creating something here in Atlanta. And what's funny, when I got here to Atlanta, even though I was the general manager for a supermarket in Florida, I came here and it wasn't a position available at the time I came to Atlanta when I got into the hotels. So I left uh, the supermarket and came into the hotel industry. And Mm -hmm. the hotel industry told me that I was overqualified for the position that was available.
2: They told me that before too.
1: i tell you, it was amazing. It was amazing. And the funny thing about it is, there was a young lady, a young lady who was a general manager of a hotel chain that I went into and she told me twice, I have nothing for you. I have nothing for you because you overqualified. The fortunate part about that is that I had a brother who actually invited me to Atlanta who was working at the hotel. Mm. And he or his boss or whoever, someone had a conversation with her. And then she hired me as a cashier. So I started off in the hotel as a cashier in Atlanta.
0: You went from general manager at the, you went from climbing the corporate ladder in the food and beverage, or the grocery industry to going back down in the hotel industry. How did that make you feel? Like, you know, a lot of people, they wouldn't want to take that step down in authority and like go from being the decision maker to the direction taker, you know?
1: Yes, you know, I did that. And I knew it wouldn't be long before for me to take over that particular property. I knew that. And I was driven by that. So it was more of a challenge for me to do it. It was. Mm-hmm. And I was making less money, believe it or not. I was living with my brother, but I was determined. So and when I, as far as my position at the hotel, I did that cashier position probably about uh, maybe less than six months. Less than six months. And then I was promoted. I was promoted mm-hmm. then to another supervisor position. And then uh, probably less than another six months, I was promoted to a manager position. And then I was assistant GM within two years here in
2: Atlanta. Did you become her boss?
1: Oh, no. Well, no, no, no. (laughs) I did not. (laughs) I did not. Because, again, I ended up leaving then and decided to go into a different direction, which I went from the hotel uh, to convention centers.
0: Damn. Mm. So it seems to me like you really have this thing for... Trying to figure just breaking into breaking industry industry and figuring that out and performing at a high level to a point where you enter a leadership position in a short period of time. Because it's not a coincidence, in my opinion. in that like in the grocery store industry, it's like almost like carbon copy. Like what you did in the grocery industry happened almost exactly the same in the hospitality hospitality industry.
1: So like the
0: same thing happened in the food. I mean, the convention center.
1: The same thing happened the Convention Center. Same thing happened. I went to Convention Center as an event manager uh, and then became a uh, co-manager for the Convention Center. And that's when I got into the franchising Mm -hmm. because I wanted to grow and I want to put myself in a position to be able to have my own, have my own. And that's where I went from there to the franchising because I was actually looking at multiple franchises. I was. I was ready to take my 401k and just do something with it and make something for myself. And I looked at probably about six or seven different franchises. I mean, from Popeye's to Cold Stone to I'm saying a lot of them. And then the Nancy's I had an opportunity because someone approached me about Nancy's and that Nancy's was probably the, how do I, I don't want to say the worst Nancy's, but as far as the numbers, the numbers were very, very low and the service was not on point.
2: Mm. So I kind of, Even want to go back before we get into like the Nancy's with just pivoting and taking on that, that role of ownership. What was it that was going through your mind that made you click and say, you know what, I'm tired of climbing, tired of getting these skills. It's time for me to actually own something.
1: What made that happen for me is that I was at uh, again, i was still in the hospitality industry at that time. I was at a different property. And I was given the opportunity to be manager of the year and with one of the brands that I was with. And when I received the manager of the year reward, they gave me a plaque and a watch. I'll never forget it. And we were at the hotel. We was the number one. And that was during the time of the bombing here in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And the property I was at was downtown Atlanta in the center where the government and other industries took over the hotel. So we were number one. We probably did about three, four, five million dollars more than what we had forecasted within six months. And that was because of that. But then when it was time to do my forecasting for the next year, my general manager came to me and said, no, I need you to take these numbers up higher. And I'm like, sir, I didn't take these numbers up as high as I can go. He said, no, I want more because the numbers were based on bonuses also for the general manager, for me, for everybody else. And I said, unless you're going to do another bombing uh, here in Atlanta, I can't take these numbers up in higher. So that was a challenge for me dealing with that. So having that pressure and then that was the decision saying, Greg, go and do your own thing. Go and do your own thing.
2: I'm glad that you shared that because Robert Johnson, his story is kind of similar too. He was in sales. And he ended up being like the number one sales guy. And he said he got this thing. Gift, yeah, like a, the gift a, gift. a gift. And like he looked inside of it and it was nothing. He was like, like, what am I actually doing here? He was like, I mean, I can do all of the numbers, but what am I actually achieving? So I'm pretty sure you kind of had that same type of conversation with yourself.
1: I did. I did. And then what's funny is that also reached out to some of my colleagues and some of my peers, including the young lady who did hire me from the first property, uh, hotel property, I called her, had a long conversation with her. And the first thing she said to me was, Greg, do your own thing. Do you, do you. And that was one of the, the side of factor for me moving on to say, hey, I, mean, I just I do my own thing. I never knew I was going to be part of a franchise at all. I did not. Like I said, I looked at you know probably about six, seven different franchises, but the Nancy's came based on a relationship I had with someone and it blew from there.
0: That's powerful. So- With Nancy's, you said somebody that you knew kind of introduced you to the opportunity. So let's get into the particular Nancy's Creek, the Nancy's Mm -hmm. Pizza location. And then I kind of want to get into like what the process is like to start a franchise with those people. Can we even go
2: before like the particular Nancy's? I really want to understand, like, why did you go with Nancy's out of all of the other locations that you were like, all of the other franchises that you're looking at? What made you say this is the worst thing now? I want this. I want this, though. Like what what made you do that?
1: Well, when I say a relationship, that relationship is currently my wife, (laughs) believe it (laughs) or not. (laughs) But that's how it started. She actually was a co-owner of a particular Nancy's here in Atlanta. Um, The area was in the Buckhead area of Atlanta. And I was invited to come to her location because (laughs) they were struggling. They were getting ready to shut down. And I went and took a look at uh, the operation. I looked at some numbers. I looked at different stuff. The, her co-owner of that location was actually, something happened, and this is by the grace of God, he was in the hospital. So that gave me an opportunity to go in and take a look at it. Um, and once I did that, I looked at it and I said, no, I don't know what's going on, but I can tell you one thing. This place is not being ran the proper way. Mm.
2: Mm. So was she your wife at the time or just a real good friend?
1: Just a friend, just a friend, only a friend at the time, only a friend. And when I had a conversation, I looked at the numbers and she was like, you know, they're going to shut us down. They're going to shut us down. And I said, well, you know what? I'm not going to let them shut you down. What we need to do is get rid of your co-owner.
2: So what's the process of that? What does that look like?
1: We had to get attorneys, attorneys involved. And he was behind on, God, almost everything that he could be behind on in that operation. So after we negotiated with him, the attorneys negotiated with him. I negotiated with him she negotiated with him. And then he decided to walk away. And once he walked away, he gave me the opportunity to take over that location because I then became uh, owner of the location.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's how you got into the actual Nancy's Pizza franchise. So it wasn't, did you have to still go through like the same franchisee training process and all the things like that?
1: You know, what was funny is that the training process was supposed to be six weeks. The president of Nancy's, when I had to send all my information over to him for him to approve, uh, and based on my background, he went ahead and approved it, and needed me out there for six weeks. And I say out there, I'm talking about Chicago, and that's where the franchise originated from. And I told him I couldn't give him six weeks because I had to turn this store around. And I went out there and I spent a week and a half, if not two weeks, out there. And every store that I had to go to to work out of, they kept telling him no. He's fine. He's fine. So I flew back within two weeks. So I turned a, a six week program uh, into two weeks. Mm. It sounds
0: like you're really good at systems is what it sounds yeah. like. And I wanted to ask with that. So like you were talking about the operations of the business before and then how you kind of came in and fixed everything. So can we talk about like whenever you say the it was mismanaged? Can we talk like what does that look like? What was wrong with that Nancy's franchise?
1: Well, first of all, a lot to do with that. First of all, Th- theft. Uh, the other mm-hmm. thing is that they didn't understand the competition that they had mm-hmm. to compete against. They didn't understand that. So when I took over, the first day I walked in, well, I had a conversation with two individuals. One was a general manager and one was a manager. And I had a conversation with the general manager first, one-on-one in the office. And this was my first day there. And telling him what my direction was, what my goals were, and how I can turn the place around. And he was this nonchalant type person. Then the next day, I had a conversation with the manager. The manager, and as soon as he sat down with me, and I didn't do the conversation with the manager at the location, I did it at AHA, which was across the street. And when he sat down, he looked at me, he said, man, I hope you're not getting ready to fire me. And I just looked at him and I said, what make you think that? And then, you know, our conversation went from there. And he said, man, I have so much to give to the location. I just wasn't able... To implement anything. I wasn't able to manage the way I want to manage. I wasn't able to do X, Y, and Z. So after that conversation, we finished up. I sent him back to the store. I sit there thinking and praying and thinking. Probably two hours later, I went back to the store and I fired the general manager. Hmm. I fired the general manager. I let him go and now I only had my assistant manager. And then he said, okay, so I don't know. Position doesn't mean anything to me. I just want to help turn this thing around. I said, Well, I am going to be the general manager and you will be my manager. And to this day, he's still with me. Oh, wow. To this day, he's still with me. And that's been probably about 15 years.
2: Wow. Jeez. That's yes. crazy. <laughs> but it's the way that he approached it versus the way that the general manager approached it too. Like you said, the general manager was very nonchalant with it. Whenever you sat down with him, he said, man, I hope you're not about to fire me. That's a man who. Sounds like he's got something to lose.
1: Correct. Correct. Right. And, and he did. And, and because his job was on the line and with me coming in, trying to take over a location or a brand that I knew nothing about. Normally a person would go with a general manager and let the general manager teach them the brand. You know what I'm saying? But uh, with me, I mean, I was totally different. I was totally different. And I thought different. And mm-hmm. to this day, I still do the same thing. Mm.
0: So you came and like applied your own unique kind of approach to their franchising model. You took, so like, I'm thinking about like you said, you let go of the general manager, you stepped into the general manager role and you started like building from there. What did that whole process of turning everything around look like, I guess?
2: Was that, yeah, like, was there more people that you had to fire? Cause I know how a culture can be created and it can be a very cancerous environment.
1: Correct, correct, it was. It was probably about half of my staff I I terminated. Half of my staff. And then the other half just resigned. (laughs) Wow. they did, but again, I was interviewing. I knew people in the industry. I knew people looking for a job, and they was calling me, calling me, calling me. And because of that, I was okay with the other half leaving. Also, at the same time, I was okay because during that time they didn't understand what was around them, and what was around them was other franchises. And then you had to make McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? You had the Chick-fil-A's. You had the Burger King. You have all these type of places that was around them, but they didn't understand the competition. And me in there with my team having a meeting with them, telling them that we have to you know, compete against the other customers. And you compete against the service. You compete against the food. You compete against the pricing. And that was our goal. And that's how we started. I was uh, in the office on a lunchtime, and we didn't have probably three or four customers in the restaurant itself. And then you have other restaurants was lined up. They were lined up. So mm-hmm. I just had to make some, some decision. Me, originally from Florida, I never had a deep dish pizza. I didn't know deep dish existed, but I had to think. And the way I started thinking was, okay, in order to get these people in here with us, it's for us to think different. And I'm not sure if you all have a deep dish pizza, but it takes at least 40 minutes for a deep dish.
2: Yeah, I've had one before.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, and man, customers man. only have 30 minutes lunch break. So I'm like, okay, we have to do something different. We have to change the mindset. We have to do something different. And that's what we did. And that's what I had a conversation again with my manager and revisit how the brand was branding.
2: So what does that conversation look like? Like you said, you got a few challenges to face. You got all the competition around. You got McDonald's, fast. I'm in and out. Chick-fil-A, fast, in and out. You got all of these other people who you can get in quick, but your product takes 40 minutes for you to do that, for you to get to... From them ordering, it takes 40 minutes to get to their table so they can at least start eating. So how do you overcome that first hurdle and then keep on pushing past that?
1: Well, first of all, I had to understand the competition. And then in order to understand them, you have to do your research. And I did my research with them. And that's when I guess combos, it came big with combos. You can either have or French fries or drink or sandwich or whatever. So I said, okay, why can't we do a pizza combo? So we end up doing a pizza combo uh, where not the deep dish, but the thin slice. You get a thin slice and you get a soda and then you can get wings with it. And that was our combo. And you walk in and you can be served in about 12 minutes or less. Mm -hmm. Fresh food, fresh food. We did that. We also did what we called a mini deep dish pizza. where we cook it halfway and then you come in, we'll cook it other half. And it's amazing. That also assisted us. And bringing those customers from the other location. Other location. Then we had sandwiches. We're doing the sandwich combo. Chicken club sandwich or Italian beef sandwich. We did that. You get that and order fries and a drink at a reasonable price. I had a sign created and put it in front of the store, a huge sign created, put it on the store. And people started then coming into the parking lot, they see the sign. And then they wouldn't go to some of the other stores. They would come directly to us. Mm. Yeah. And then our advertising, and we were very huge on our social media site. And when we were stating to you as a customer that come in, we're gonna have this, we have that. You could be fed in about 15 minutes, fresh food in 15 minutes. And people just start coming in, man. And all of a sudden we didn't have enough staff or enough seating <laughs> for what we were doing. That's mm-hmm.
0: fire. So like you really came and innovated on what they already had. Mm-hmm. So would I have to ask is this, like whenever you started, you analyzed the competition in the market and you created your own solution. Did you have to go through like corporate to get this approved or did you have like that autonomy already in your organization like with Nancy?
1: No, corporate hate me. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, they do. They do. And I'm OK with that. I'm OK with that because I think the feeling is mutual. And even with the slices, corporate never had slice pizza, never. But I created that slice. On the personal size deep dish, corporate never did that. I created that. Even with how we were operating, we were doing karaoke on uh, Friday and Saturday nights. Corporate hated that. We're not supposed to be. We're a brand. We don't do karaoke. But again, uh, I created that. Mm. I didn't pay any attention to them because again, the goal was to turn that store around. Mm-hmm. And numbers make sense because if corporate is seeing the numbers, and then they have to rethink. They have mm. to rethink. I had a call with the president of the company and he said, okay, it's no need for you to do a Facebook page or an Instagram page because we're corporate and we, everybody should follow our page. And then I said, sir, have you looked at my numbers versus the numbers that you have on your page? Had that conversation with them. He said, well, it doesn't matter. Your people need to come follow us. Wow. I'm like, dude, those people in Chicago, I'm speaking Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? So I need Atlanta to follow me. I don't look for Chicago to follow me at all. I do not. Some come from Chicago. They come to the restaurant. Perfect. But I'm not out there trying to search for Chicago people to come to Atlanta. I would never win in that situation. Never.
2: That's crazy. So so me thinking it sounds like, you know, you're doing everything right. I thought corporate would have been like, yeah, man, he, yeah, down. he's getting these numbers up. I thought they would might have tried to adopt some of the things that you was doing. But it's crazy but they how they're like
1: they have now. Now, now, Talk and that, to me about I, it. I, I, me about I, it. You know, I can kick myself in the butt for not putting myself in a position to get some paperwork signed. But again, even when I, I'm speaking of my first location, which was the Buckhead location, and then I moved from the Buckhead location to the Camp Creek location. The uh, size of the restaurant that I chose or the building I chose is probably three times any Nancy size. So, the Camp Creek location? The Camp Creek location, yes. And when I called corporate, they have a conversation showing them my plans and my drawings. They told me, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. Where uh, Nancy's, we only have a certain size box. And I'm like, well, that's okay. But this is Camp Creek. And I know Camp Creek going to be amazing. Well, no, we don't, go to, we don't want anything at Camp Creek. So what do you mean you don't want anything at Camp Creek? And he said, no. So what I did was I decided not to do a Nancy's. I decided not to do another Nancy's because my franchise agreement was gone, was up. I had to do a new one. And do a new one. So I ended up changing the name of the building to Opium. And when I did that, I was trying to create a different brand. Opium is one of my brands. I was trying to create a different brand. And we went to start building out this restaurant. And probably within about three, four months into building this restaurant out, I get a call from corporate <laughs> and want to know what was going on. And I say, well, I mean, nothing's going on. Build my restaurant out. He said, well, I need you to come to Chicago. I said, no, sir. No, sir. I said, I'm, I, you don't need me to come to Chicago. You want to talk to me, you come to Atlanta. Mm. And he made an arrangement. And today he was here in Atlanta. We had a conversation. We said, I have a conversation. And I said, dude, I said, to say one thing. I know a lot of people want Nancy's because they believe in what we did. People still blowing us up. They're upset because I'm changing from Nancy's to something else. I said, but I don't need that bull. I don't need that bull from you at all. And he came in and we had a conversation. That franchise fee for Nancy is about $30,000. He waved that. He said, I want you with Nancy. I said, if you want me with Nancy, I'm going to build my restaurant the way I want to build it.
2: When something happens to your kitchen, you might say,
3: this is ludicrous. But
0: that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right.
2: You can file a claim on the app or call us.
3: Thanks, Mr. Chris.
2: No matter how ludicrous the
1: situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Oh. And I did. I did. Now you look at the newest Nancy's. What's funny is that a lot of them have already copied my style and my look of the new Nancy's, the new brand.
0: Ain't
2: that some shit?
1: Yep.
3: Yep.
0: <laughs> That's crazy, man.
3: That's wild. <laughs> hey.
0: That's powerful, though. Like, you came into the brand and you innovated. You came in with two things, really. You came in with the mindset that you've always had, turning whatever situation you have into something that you can be successful in. It was one of the worst locations. You say it was mismanaged, but you turned it around and got it to a point where now it's the number one location and corporate is adopting what you set the tone with. And that's just amazing and powerful, man. And that's what's happening. Yes. And I kind of want to go into the
2: reason why they didn't want it in Camp Creek, what was the different, was it the demographics different? Why didn't they want to go to that area?
1: It's a couple of, it was, the demographics were, were part of it. They were part of it. The Camp Creek location was just building up over in this area. They were just building up in this area. Um, Creek, and uh, part of Atlanta.
2: Was, Can you give me a reference to like Camp Creek to Atlanta? Which side of that is if, that?
1: If you fly into Atlanta, you're about 10, 15, about 10, 15 minutes from the location.
2: Oh, Uh, so you're right by the airport.
1: I'm right by... I'm close to the airport. Yes, sir. I am. I am. And the demographics in the area where I'm at, things are changing much now. But yeah, as far as uh, African-American, this area probably was about 80% African-American.
2: That's crazy. So did they not think that it would sell better in that area or something like that?
1: It's the fact that they were afraid that my place was too large because um, I built in my restaurant, a private room. My private room seats about 30 people in my private room. I also built a bar, and my bar seats about 20 people, 20, 21 people. And they told me, we don't have a bar like that. If you want to do a bar, you have to do no more than five people. You don't do a private room. We don't have private rooms in our restaurants. So a lot of stuff that I was doing here that they did not do, they did not do. And they fought against it. They fought against it. But the decision was that either I'm going to be a Nancy's or I'm going to be another restaurant because the lease was under my name, not corporate name. I only had the brand.
2: And you understood the leverage that you had as well.
1: Correct. Correct. And then they understood also the leverage. That's the reason why he went ahead and agreed. Because, again, I mean, we was killing Buckhead. We were killing Buckhead. And um, the only reason why we left Buckhead, because the buyers came out and changed Buckhead around and bought the, the location we was at. And they did something else with it. And I was looking for another location and Camp Creek popped up and I said, I'm going to take advantage of this. And I did.
0: So I'm interested with those additions that you made to the location, right? The expanding the bar and adding that private room. How much would you say that affected the bottom line of the profitability of the place? Like if you would have followed their model, do you think you could have still been as successful with that restaurant?
1: Uh, Well, I think we'll we'll have. have. Yes, I would say that. I would say that because of the drive that I have as an owner. Mm -hmm. I would say that. Yes. And I say that because not just this Nancy, but other locations I've opened and today still opening restaurants and everyone I touch uh, is doing excellent numbers, excellent numbers.
0: Mm. So I want to get into that. Like, that's another part of it now. So you built this skill set, right? You've over these past, what, two decades, you've been in these different industries. And now you help other people take their franchises and become successful with them. Can you speak to like, how does it look to come in? I guess, and are you really like mentoring these people or like you kind of hands on? Like, this is what you need to do.
1: I'm hands on. I'm hands on. And what I decided to do was I was getting phone calls because of the success of Nancy. I was getting all two like phone calls and I was taking these calls. And I was answering people questions. I would help people come to my office and I would sit down with them and show them uh, how the bill... You know what I'm saying? Whatever brand that they're trying to do and Mm -hmm. to grow with that particular brand and even creating their plans. I would assist them with that. I would assist them with the menu operation on whatever food they're trying to sell. I was doing that. And then one day I was talking to my attorney. No, my attorney was in my office and someone called me. I said, hold on a second. Let me get this call. A guy wanted to talk to me about restaurant. And when I hung up, he looked at me. He said, Greg, let me share one thing with you. He said, don't you ever, don't you ever talk to another person without having a contract. He said, because what is needed is you and do not talk to another person without a contract. I'm going to put a contract together for you. Someone call you to come in. They want to, you give them a contract and then you show them what they need to do. So that's how that consultant started. So when I did that, I said, okay, let me just start my consulting business um, hmm. because of that. And I did the consulting business and it is, it's blowing up, man. It's crazy. It is crazy. And one thing about it is a lot of it's celebrity driven. Hmm.
2: So before we get even to like the celebrity driven part, I want to talk about like how you've been able to really just look at businesses and build businesses. What are some of the things that people would need to be successful in the restaurant industry? Because from what I've heard, it's hard to be successful in this
0: industry. Razor thin profit margins, spoilage, all that stuff.
1: Correct. 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 And that's about having a plan and putting a plan together for whatever brand or whatever individual who opened up a restaurant, you got to system with that plan and start with a plan what was what's going on in the past is a lot of people would open up restaurants and not having a plan. So it was opening, closing, opening, closing, because they didn't have a plan. They didn't understand mm-hmm. probably about half the restaurants that I've opened those individual people who own those restaurants, never even had a restaurant, never. And they just say they want to open up a restaurant. That's okay. And I went from there, and what I do is make sure they understand exactly what a grease trap is, first of all, and the mm-hmm. size of the grease trap they need, making sure, you know what I'm saying, the health department, they're ready for the health department for whatever we're doing with the cooler, the freezer, or whatever they're doing there, making sure they understand the look based on the location they're going in. So it's a lot that entails with that. Even with the interviewing and hiring and stuff like that, um, I have to assist them and walk them through that process.
2: So, yeah, like it's it's definitely hands on sounds like you really giving them the game and the blueprint from you and your successes.
1: Correct. Yes. And the advantage that we also have, I have, is that the relationship, just creating the right relationship, creating relationship with the city. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? With the county, with the state, when it comes to liquor license and making sure the customer understand the liquor license process, understand paying your taxes every month for your liquor and for your food. Uh, making sure you're paying your bills, put a whole plan together. And that's what um, uh, me and my team do now.
0: Mm. I wanted to ask something about those numbers, like with the numbers in the restaurant industry, what would you say are like the critical numbers that everybody needs to understand? And like, how do you put that picture together to like make sure that it is going to be a profitable business?
1: Well, you start off with a hundred percent, first of all, that's it. And you take that and you break it down. You break it down based Mm. on, your percentage for your labor. And that's for your employees break it down on your percentage for the food that you're purchasing. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So you start taking that away. And then if you start going in and you're doing your overhead and pulling from that, pull from that 100. And then if you down to 10 out of 90, so you got 90% of your funding is going out the window or going out the door or going to pay your employees or pay for whatever, then you need to take a look at it because you maybe have too many employees. So Okay, let's get rid of some of the employees. I'm saying, oh, your food. Let's take a look at how you order your food and take a look at your cost. And you break it down that way. Mm-hmm. And that's how I start. And that's when I have a conversation with whatever owner it is, I start off that way. And they look at me like, wow, I didn't know that. Every last one that I've opened, I probably opened probably eight, nine restaurants in Atlanta, just probably in the past year and a half. Jeez. Yeah, about a year and a half. I got four more on my books right now. And you probably know the ones that I'm speaking of because again, a lot of us are celebrity driven because one tell the other person, the other person tell the other person, Hey, you better call Greg. You better call Greg. And that's what's going on right now. And we have a huge restaurant that we opened up probably a year ago and she'd never done restaurants before. She did real estate and we just signed a contract with her to do her second restaurant, second restaurant. And she's oh, only man. been open a year and she's very successful, very successful. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, man. I got that's super lit. Especially like the business being celebrity driven. You just made me think back to like how many times or how many stories I've heard of like NFL players, NBA players that open up a restaurant with their friends and family and things fail. Like the service you're offering would prevent stuff like that from happening.
1: Which is true. That's correct. And that's the reason why when and I thank God my attorney had to make it make sense to me. Say, Greg, you know, stop giving your knowledge away, utilize it, you know what I'm saying, and charge people. And these guys, they don't mind paying. They just want to make sure that their restaurant is being ran successfully and they continue to do what they do. And they are doing what they do. And they call me up, man, Greg, I need this. Greg, I need that. Can you call this person for me? Can you do this? Can you make it happen for me? Now, of course, no big deal with making some phone calls. Yes, you make it an invoice, but you get, I'll make the phone calls.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like that, though. And I like how you just, it really started off with you really just being a giver, though. Because like you said, at the beginning, You're just telling people, hey, pull up to my office. I'll help you out. And then it actually transformed into you actually starting this consultant business. And now you're able to be like, yeah, this is the people that I help. But this is the success that comes with it.
1: It it is. It is. I mean, um, and again, I don't want to throw names out, but Todd and Candy is probably one of my biggest clients. And I have Todd open up his first restaurant or their first restaurant. And I didn't get paid anything because I didn't charge me anything because we were friends. But when time to do the second and the third one was a different story. But again, if that was the first one for me to jump out of what I was doing to go and assist someone else. Yep.
0: Quick commercial break. Aspire water, y'all, black on water. Good for your body, good for your mind. Alkaline water, y'all get that. Yeah,
2: 9.5 pH balance.
0: All that good stuff. Uh, alkaline water, Aspire water. 10% off your order. Use code BWR10. Yeah,
2: yeah. Y'all definitely go get that.
0: Now, back to the show. Sorry about that.
2: Now, Greg, I kind of want to get into some of the other things that you're doing in the community with Nancy's as well, because, you know, you've came in, you built this business up, but you also have some community incentives and some things that you're doing. Can we talk about that?
1: Of course. Of course. We do a lot. As a matter of fact, we just did an event two weeks ago for uh, City East Point, where we fed about 150 people here right outside the restaurant. We did that. We also tie ourselves in with the Community, when it comes to our staffing, we utilize a lot of our staffing from the center. And when I say the center, this is a rehab center where Mm -hmm. people have been arrested or um, for doing certain things and they go to jail. And then from jail, they go to the center to be rehabilitated. And probably half of my staff is from the center that we hire. And the center, again, have them bring them here and come pick them back up. So we do that. We do a lot of charities. We do karaoke here. Well, we just stopped because of COVID. But we're going to start it back. And a lot of charities we do is karaoke charity. A lot of people call us and say, hey, man, I, I want to do a karaoke function there. Is it OK? And we do that for them also. And we've been doing this type of stuff, man, since day one. Day one.
2: I love it. I love it. It's just really that, like I said earlier, that give a spirit and you just trying to help the community out.
0: Yes. I definitely like that part about helping those people coming out of the prison system, you know, yeah. getting into the workforce, because I know that's definitely a challenge for many of them. And yeah. speaking of the workforce, it's unrelated to the community side of things. This is just a question I had in my head. Being that you're in the restaurant industry, we hear a lot of the lobbying and things around the $15 minimum wage at the time. Who just pushed their wage? Uh, a- Chipotle. Chipotle just pushed their wage up to $15. How do you think that would affect the industry as a whole, like the food and beverage industry, to raise the minimum wage up because with Chipotle, in the instance of them, we've seen that they are going to actually increase their prices. So like, how do you think that would play into everything?
1: Well, right now, it's hard to say right now. It's very hard right now because, again, people are coming out. And they're coming out like crazy, uh, these restaurants. These restaurants have a line wrapped around the building with of the restaurants. I will say that. Even me, myself, I had to think twice based on the uh, rate of pay that I was paying some of my staff members versus what I'm doing now. I just gave increases. To my staff members, because the competition out there is so competitive with trying to get someone to come in and work um, your space or your brand. So, as far as, as, as we have to play smart, now I'm not going to say I'm making the same numbers I was a year ago because the food costs and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you barely can get a truck nowadays because they're not having drivers. And I'm talking about the suppliers having drivers to bring the food to you. So, it is going to be very, very difficult in the next year run. It really is. One thing I do say, and I will say, is that the government, and I didn't think I would ever say this, with them assisting with the PPP program Mm -hmm. and the other stuff that they've done has assisted probably a majority of the restaurants. If you have your paperwork done, your taxes done, and everything done the right way, they've been assisting, and that helped helped also. But once all of that is depleted, and then we have to think differently. The other thing differently.
2: I'm glad that you brought that up because I did want to ask you, how did y'all pivot during COVID? Mm-hmm. Because like you said, you know, supply you had chain. the supply chain, your location sound like it's very user friendly. Like you mm-hmm. said, you got the, the karaoke room, you got the big private room with the parties and stuff like that. So how did you have to make that pivot for you to still maintain on top of like the, getting the assistance from the PPP loan?
1: Well, one thing about we were fortunate. We didn't have to really shut down 100%. We shut down the dine-in because of the COVID. We shut down dine-in. It was pick up and take out only. Pick up and take out pizza was crazy. So our numbers, we was only down maybe about 20%, maybe 20, 24% because they pick up and take out. And we had the other people that would come in where it'd be Uber Eats or whoever, uh, whatever brand that would assist also. So with us, we really didn't lose a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Being down about 20, I would say 25 percent, and that was the amount that you needed for them to be able to assist you, the government. So we did that. We did that, and then what happened was uh, we did it. We gave every employee a bonus, a bonus, for them to assist us and stay with us, and they stayed. Majority of my staff here have been with me for way over 12 years. Majority Mm -hmm. of my staff, and we try to take care of them. We try to assist them and take care of their families. If they needed some food, we provided food for them to take home. We did whatever we had to do to maintain our staff level and be able to take care of our customer level.
2: I really love that because you know it goes back to what you said in the beginning, whenever you first got started in the grocery industry, you understood the customer and you understood the employee. Yes. And I don't think a lot of people understand what it's like to have to be a manager in that role where you have to deal with both of those people and keep both parties happy.
1: Yes. And they're the same. We've not, they're the same. And they want the same thing. Mm. You know what I'm saying? One is getting paid, you know what I'm saying, to take care of customers. The customer coming in spending money to take care of employees. They're the same.
2: So two sides of the same cord. And I'm glad that you say that, but you know, sometimes you might have an employee or a customer that comes off rude to an employee. And sometimes people are like, you know, the customs are always right or anything like that. So how do you deal with some of these situations of maintaining that balance?
1: Well, I never believe in the fact that customers are always right. I never believe in that. I never did from day one. But I will hold my employees accountable to making sure they take care of the customer. Now you have customers that come in, man, I would put out my restaurant in a minute because they're not always right. They're not always right. But the thing is, I guess part of the menu, part of the recipe. Is to make sure that everybody you approach, and you approach them the right way. Approach mm-hmm. them the right way.
0: Everybody loves McDonald's fries, so yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Mm,
2: I love that. So, what's in the future? What's next for you? Are you going to open up some more restaurants? You think you're going to double down on a consultation, helping other people open up their restaurants? What's next?
1: Well, I mean, I'm going to continue to do my consulting. I am. Like I said, I just picked up four more restaurants, um, huge restaurants that I'm working on right now. And then I have, I think, another four years on my agreement with Nancy's Corporation. I have about four more years. And I'm sitting back and trying to decide, do I want to continue to stay with Nancy's or I want to create my own brand? Like I'm the assistant... um, multiple restaurants and create their brand. And I'm still toying with that, but my consulting business, I will continue. I will continue because I love food and beverage.
2: And and I kind of want to ask you about that then. What is the advantage of being a part of a franchise versus creating your own brand?
1: When saying the brand, the brand is the existing brand. So because Mm -hmm. it's already existing, that makes it a little easier. It's very costly to be part of a franchise. It's very costly. And you don't get a whole lot in return other than utilizing the brand itself. So, but if you have that brand and you have to do what you need to do with that brand and make it grow and make it successful, that's on you. You can't sit back and wait on corporate to assist you in making sure that you're successful with their brand because they own the brand, they own the name. I just put on top of my building and that's it. But my goal is to sit back and make some decision whether I create my own brand because we're well known now. And then all the other restaurants who we open, they're well known. So the information is out there. So why not take advantage of that information, take advantage of it, and just do something different, do something crazy? Hey,
2: hey I love
0: it. I hope yeah, like you, you built, you already built
2: like a, the... a food group or something about to come up hey, out of
0: nowhere. That <laughs> sounds like I, whatever decision you do make, I think is. Well, I don't think I know it's going to be successful. Yeah, you yeah, know, you yeah. done took the, the store that was at the bottom of the barrel with Nancy's, brought it to the top. And now you to help other people build their brand shoes right. off the rip. You, would you bring back the name Opium if you go ahead and go that route?
1: Would yes, I would. I would. Yes, nope.
0: I like it. What, what made you choose the
2: name Opium anyway?
1: You know, what? I'm going to be honest with you. I was trying to decide to create a company. I was trying to create a company. And I was actually reading a book and then one of the books that I did read uh, the purpose of driven life, I was reading that. And that was in that book. Mm. I'm like, wow, this is odd. So even my email is opium restaurant. You know what I'm saying? My consultant business, opium restaurant consultant. So
0: it all aligned. That's crazy.
1: Yes. It's a brand.
0: Heck yeah.
1: It's a brand. Yes.
2: So I'd like to pivot to the last section of the show, Greg. I want to talk about what's on your timeline or as newly named, What's in your world? Something... the only
0: one calling it that name.
2: Hey, man, it's, <laughs> it's more fitting. <laughs> so like, what's in your world? What's something you've either seen on social media? Are you seeing like in actual life that you would like to speak on? It could be something positive. It could be something funny. Something that you were like, man, y'all got to do better world. Any, anything like that.
1: You know what, what was funny, I was watching TV this morning. And I think Barack Obama was on TV this morning on More America. And they was talking about the uh, June 10th thing, mm-hmm. which they just signed off on. I think yesterday or the day before. Yeah, and that is still to me. And again, I knew nothing about June 10th. I didn't really? Teach, they no, I didn't know anything about. It. They didn't teach me that in school at all. i have be honest with you. I, I didn't
0: hear. Really, I didn't hear about June 10th till probably like later in college for myself. To be wow. honest, I didn't. I never knew it was a thing
2: as, as a, a young like kid. Twenty one. I, I knew as a kid, but that, my aunt was kind of big on it. That's why. I,
1: But you're in Texas. And again, that's where I'm I'm
2: originally from Louisiana, though. So,
1: okay, okay, okay. All right, cool. But no, and that just came up probably about six weeks ago, eight weeks ago. And people calling me about June 10th and stuff like that. I'm like, wow. And then when Biden signed off on it, I'm like, this is amazing. So now what's for me is when me go and do my information and educate myself. So I then have an opportunity to educate my family, my kids. Mm,
2: I like that. And I like how you say you're going to educate your family and your kids because at the same time, that's something that I've been seeing on my timeline too. And it's been a twofold thing. Like a lot of people are happy some that happy, it yeah, some, that it's some mad it's been declared, symbolism. But some are mad because they feel like it's symbolism. But there's also uh, legislation that's trying to pull back teaching slavery in school, yeah. teaching right. the reason why why Juneteenth is actually recognized. So they're like, this is really like a smoke and mirror. But what you said is teach your family. There's no laws illegal against you teaching your family the actual tradition would actually happen because you can teach it to them better than some of the false information that will be put in the book right. anyway.
1: Correct, which is true. That is so true. Yes, yes. So that's what's been on my mind.
2: I love it. I love it. Likewise. So so Greg, where can the people keep up with you? What can they follow? Nancy's, maybe if someone hears this and they want to get a consultation, they want you to help them open up their restaurant. Where can they do all of these things at?
1: They can hit me up on the Nancy's Pizza and Nancy's Camp Creek, or you can do it on opiumrestaurant at comcast.net. Uh, that's my email. I look at my own email. I don't have anyone look at my email. We also on our Instagram, Nancy's Camp Creek. So everything is on the Nancy's Camp Creek when it comes to the brand itself. And if someone to email me, asks a couple of questions, feel free to. It's at opiumrestaurant at comcast.net.
2: I love it. I love it. Y'all definitely tap in because I don't know if y'all know, he did say
0: two of the man, names. This one, this, this man, some some I restaurants
3: said.
2: that he man, has, and I had. I
0: yeah. the damn thing, bro. Yeah. Let's just call it what it is. He number one in the nation for a reason. We ain't got to even play on it no more, man. Y'all get at this, brother. You trying to start a restaurant. That's all I got to say on that topic. I got to give him the class one more time. Is it so, Greg? We want to say thank you again for um, coming
2: through and just coming through, kicking this knowledge, this game. Definitely appreciate you
0: for sharing this with us, yes, sir. I
1: appreciate you. Do. And before right, we before wrap, coming to Atlanta, man, come to Atlanta, come through and uh, check us out. Oh, you oh heard, yeah, you yeah, yeah, know. yeah. Next we
0: time don't... we in Atlanta, uh, when we said, I think it was like. Dre uh, was trying to get us to come out there in July, July. But I don't think we're going to be able to make it in July. Either July or August, we're going to pull up on y'all. Because now that we know it's right there next to
1: the airport, we got to yes. go. Yeah. Yes, please do. Please do. All right.
0: Yeah, yes, we definitely will. All
1: right. Appreciate you all.
0: Thank you. you. Yeah, we're good. All
1: right, man. You too. You too. All right.
0: Peace. Okay, everybody. So, real quick housekeeping notes. As always, thank y'all for tuning into the Wolf Renaissance podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes in the past, please make sure to leave us that five-star rating and review. Leave a comment. Let us know what you're thinking about the podcast. If there are any topics that you want to hear us discuss or any people that you think we should interview, please reach out to us. Let us know. We open to hearing any suggestions that y'all have. Um, next, join BWR Academy, number one school for personal finance yes. on the planet. Don't argue with me. It's number one. We got all the people in there. They're talking about They're ranting. They're raving. we connecting people with financial advisors. we getting people in their bag people quitting their jobs getting their thing right hey look we doing the damn thing we got the community if you want to be a part of that come learn about your personal finances come learn about insurance come learn about credit come learn about budgeting join our savings challenge there's so many great things in this accountability within this community is just powerful so definitely join BWR Academy Um, link to that is in the show notes as well or you can go simply to BWRAcademy.com and join like that yeah y'all definitely tap in
1: Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022, and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.
3: Hi, I'm Allie Raisman. I've been living with migraine for a while. As an athlete and gymnast, I was taught to just power through the pain. Now I use Ubrelvi or Ubrojapan to treat my migraine attacks. As soon as I feel a migraine attack, I take Ubrelvi, which provides me with quick relief. Once I get relief, I go on with my day. I'm partnering with Ubrelvi to share my migraine story.
1: Ubrelvi quickly stops migraine in its tracks within two hours without worrying where you are. Most people had quick pain relief within two hours. Ubrelvi treats
2: migraine attacks in adults and is not for prevention. It's available by prescription only. Do not take Ubrelvi with strong CYP3A4 inhibitors. Tell your healthcare provider about all the medicines you take.
3: Most common side effects are nausea and tiredness. My hope is that by sharing my migraine story and the relief I get from Ubrelvi, it can help someone else. Ask your doctor about Ubrel-V,
1: the anytime, anywhere migraine medicine. Learn more at ubrelv.com or call 844-4-U-B-R-E-L-V-Y. Sponsored by AbbVie. Hey
0: there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster?
1: Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take
0: your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level.